0: You're listening to episode 25 of Rainbow Baby, a podcast documenting a journey of pregnancy after loss. I'm your host, Taylor Bates. In May 2018, my first child, Ellis, was stillborn at 31 weeks for unknown reasons. In the depths of unimaginable grief, my husband, Hunter, and I knew we wanted to try again. Since then, we've experienced new pregnancies and more loss. We're still hoping for our Rainbow Baby which is a baby born subsequent to a miscarriage, stillbirth, TFMR, or the death of an infant from natural causes. I want to share my story with you because life after pregnancy loss can be so isolating. You'll also hear conversations with others who've walked this path before me. In this episode, I reflect on what it was like to face and surpass several significant milestones in the third trimester of my current experience of pregnancy after loss. These milestones included facing the same gestational week where my first baby was stillborn, week 31, having a baby shower, setting up the nursery, and taking maternity photos. I talk about how I've coped with fearful and anxious thoughts, and ways that I've sought reassurance during these emotionally tender times. You can support this podcast by taking two minutes to leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts, and also by purchasing one of my day-by-day rainbow lapel pins. For me, rainbows have become a symbol of hope through my journey of pregnancy loss and grief. The pen not only symbolizes my hope for a rainbow baby, but also my hope in something greater, that I am taken care of even when it seems like everything is going wrong. The pin serves as a wearable reminder for you or a loved one to take things day-by-day through pregnancy loss, trying to conceive, pregnancy after loss, or any other difficult situation. You can get 10% off by purchasing one for you and a friend with discount code FRIEND10. Okay, here's the episode. I'm coming to you from my 32nd week of pregnancy. I'm just at the end. I'll be 33 weeks in a day which is just so surreal, and I want to talk about what week 31 was like for me in particular, because in my mind, that was a big milestone of this pregnancy, because that's the week in my first pregnancy when Ellis was stillborn, so, you know, there was a lot of anticipation and honestly, fear about being 30 weeks, 31 weeks pregnant with this baby. And logically, I knew that it was irrational to think that the same thing could happen again at the exact same time, but I guess that's just how trauma works. And I was very open with talking about those feelings that I was having, and they assured me that it was completely normal to feel that way. And especially my high-risk specialist said You know, she sees a lot of patients who've been through similar journeys and it's completely normal to feel that way um, and to be afraid. So even just knowing that it was normal helped me to feel better about it, I guess, you know, in the sense that I wasn't judging myself as much or being, being hard on myself about it. I was trying to give myself a lot of grace during that time, during that week and, um, just be kind to myself and not judge the feelings that came up and also try to not attach myself to them. So if I did have fearful or anxious thoughts, you know, just kind of letting them come up, acknowledging that it's normal to have those thoughts and letting them pass through me without necessarily attaching to them or thinking, Oh gosh, because I'm having these thoughts, that means that something bad is actually going to happen because that's also something I've heard from other lost moms is that in those milestone times, it's almost like you don't want to jinx your pregnancy by doing the same things that you did before. Um, so for example, during my 31st week, that was also the week that we decided to have our baby shower for this baby. And with Ellis's pregnancy, that was the week that our baby shower invitations went out. Actually, on the day that he was stillborn, our baby shower invitations went out. So, I had a lot of emotions around the idea of a baby shower just because we didn't get to have one with Ellis. And, you know, it was like the invitations went out, and then our friends had to immediately send a message to everyone who was invited and saying it's been canceled, and then had to tell everyone what happened. And then people had already ordered gifts, so gifts started arriving at our house when we came back home from the hospital. It was just all really traumatic. And so, of course, I didn't want to relive that again, but I also didn't want to make decisions about this new baby's life under the shadow of fear. And I want him to have all the same opportunities and experiences that we were going to give Ellis so kind of backtracking to the beginning of week 31 for me, it actually began really peacefully, which I was surprised by and definitely welcomed because the week before that, I actually was very emotional, just um, kind of tenderhearted and would cry easily. And I knew that it was because I was anticipating week 31. I was thinking about Ellis a lot already. And that's actually how I've experienced a lot of milestones during my grief journey is that the anticipation of them is often more intense than the actual event itself. So like all of Ellis's, you know, firsts with him, like the first Christmas after he died, his first birthday or the first Mother's Day. All of those events ended up being not as heavy as I thought they would be. It was more of the the buildup was really heavy. And so, yeah, this week 31, it started out peacefully. I had just a really good couple of days, and I was um, intentionally spending time in the morning in meditation and prayer and connecting with Ellis because I knew that that was important just also from my experience of grief to kind of express those feelings and, and give, give yourself space to do that. And so it felt good to spend time in the morning, intentionally mourning, you know, expressing grief. And, um, I would just kind of close my eyes and picture Ellis and kind of talk to him. And, and that was really special. And I would, cry and just kind of release those emotions. And, and that was actually really special because I don't often do that anymore. I don't connect with him in that way. Like I did in the early days. So after this really beautiful, peaceful day that I had, I, that night woke up at two in the morning and just had the anxiety wheel spinning for, for whatever reason. And well, I know what reason it was because of, you know, those subconscious fears of what if it happens again? And at first I thought, why is this happening? Because I didn't go to bed with anxious thoughts, but it just creeped up for whatever reason. And so, well, and I can actually pinpoint part of why I was having those anxious thoughts was that day I saw my specialist and They did the scan like they always do, and the doctor said that my amniotic fluid was a little bit on the high side of normal, so again, within a normal range, but just a little bit on the high side. And this, at the time, didn't really cause me concern. I asked him, you know, if there's anything to worry about, and he said, no, we'll just watch it. Everything else looks great. The baby's swallowing fluid because we can see it in his stomach, so all of those are really good signs. So I left the appointment feeling okay, and then later that evening, I googled, which I shouldn't have done, and of course, read a bunch of scary things about what can happen when you have too much amniotic fluid, and again, the doctor did not say that I have too much or that mine is extremely high. It was within a normal range. It was just on the high end of the normal range, and one of the last things on this list um, that I found on Google that was a side effect of having high amniotic fluid was stillbirth. So that just started my anxiety button and I couldn't stop the thoughts. And so, yeah, later that night, um, after I was able to fall asleep, I woke up and my thoughts were just spinning out in an anxiety tailspin and I ended up kind of having an upset stomach and wasn't able to go back to sleep for hours just kind of laid there um restlessly and of course the baby was moving a lot which was it's always great when he moves but it's harder to go fall back to sleep and I was having Braxton Hicks so it was just like all these things combined that made it pretty much impossible for me to get a good night's sleep. So I woke up the next morning and I had gotten, you know, maybe just a couple hours of sleep total and just felt really bad. And it kind of ruined that whole day because I felt physically tired and anxious still. And thankfully later that afternoon, I had an appointment with my my OB and told her about the amniotic fluid and she just reassured me, you know, Taylor, this is completely normal. You're in the normal range. I've seen women with double that amount of fluid and we still, everything turned out fine and we didn't intervene or do anything. So she just was trying to reassure me that it wasn't anything to worry about. So I took her word for that. And the rest of the day, my anxiety subdued, which I was so grateful for. So it just taught me, I talked with Hunter, you know, if, if I ever have a question or an anxious thought in this, in the remainder of this pregnancy, or even once the baby's born, it's like, I'm going to let him be my, my Google filter and ask him to look something up if I really need to know more information and have him filter that information for me. Because my mind just can't seem to handle being exposed to that potential, side effect list or going into a Google, a Dr. Google black hole. So after that sleepless night and that long day afterward of just feeling tired and anxious, I really did feel better after talking with my OB, having an appointment with her and having her reassure me Um, and I decided just to trust her. Like I have been this whole pregnancy and that night I slept so well, probably because my body was just so tired and woke up the next day. The weather was beautiful outside and it was like, I was a whole different person. Um, so, you know, that just kind of that's how the week was. It was these swings, these emotional swings, and not just emotional, but, you know, in my physical body, how I felt also. And I had a really great day that day, talked with friends, got work done, felt really productive, didn't have anxious thoughts. And then that night, (laughs) it happened again, where I woke up at three in the morning, and my mind was just spinning on its own. And once that gets started for me, it's really hard to go back to sleep. So kind of had the same pattern that I did that other night where I just couldn't sleep. And this time it was a little bit easier because I knew that, um, I kind of knew the drill. It's like, okay, I'm not going to be able to go to sleep for a couple of hours, but it's okay. And I'm not going to get upset about it or, you know, just kind of ride it out. And I'd also talked with a friend the day before, and it turns out she had also had a sleepless night on that same first night that I did. And it kind of felt reassuring just to know, okay, I'm not the only one, and I'm not alone in those moments, even though it absolutely feels like it. And it kind of just normalized it for me. So I just imagined, like, there's a lot of other people who are up right now, too, for various reasons. And yeah, so it wasn't as bad, even though I did wake up and it was annoying and uncomfortable. But I have a toolkit now to um, help with those anxious thoughts. So, you know, I can focus on my exhale breath that is known to calm our parasympathetic nervous system, which is our our calming system in our bodies. So I would take an inhale breath and then an lo- extra long exhale breath. And also I've heard that one way to kind of stop an anxiety loop is by thinking about something creative and it takes your brain out of that space. And so... I did. I just kind of thought about some creative projects that I've had floating around either related to my my book or projects that I want to do around the house, how I want to decorate the nursery, and that helped to pull my brain out of that anxiety mode. And speaking of the nursery, so we actually pretty much have the whole nursery set up. We have the crib, a dresser with a changing area, a rocking chair that we had planned to use with Ellis, and the nursery is actually more set up than we were able to get it set up with ellis so that was kind of another big milestone for me was setting up the nursery because it's an act of faith right it's like believing that this baby is going to be here and i wasn't sure if that was something that i was gonna want to do early on in the pregnancy but as we've gotten closer it's just felt right because I do believe that this baby is going to be born and, and join us. And so I want to be prepared for that. And I also, I don't want to make decisions based out of fear, which is something I know I've, I've said a lot, but when it comes to a baby shower or setting up the nursery, all those kinds of traditions that people normally do around having a baby I didn't want to not do them just because I was afraid that the baby was going to be stillborn, just like Ellis. So I'm really glad that we have just kind of eased into doing those things. And they did. They It just felt like kind of easy decisions, natural decisions. And it's been fun too to, to set up the nursery and kind of dream of him being in that space. And I I often go and just sit up there and sit in the rocking chair and rock with him, or I'll take my iPad up there and write or work, um, and it just it feels good to kind of envision envision us being in that space with him. And actually, if I think about it, I'm already in the present moment. I am with him in that space when I'm rocking in that chair. I am rocking him in my womb. Talking to him. And so that's reassuring too, just like building those memories already with him while I'm pregnant in his nursery. I kind of related it to Hunter recently, like how athletes will do meditation or visualization exercises to visualize themselves winning the big game. And there are research studies that show that that's actually effective. And so I think that it's really been helping me to go into that space similarly and visualize the baby holding him, being with him, and even visualizing his birth, which I've done many times now. So all of that has been really, really good for me. So the night before our baby shower, I ended up sleeping again really well, thankfully, because I'd had a sleepless night the night before. And... I slept for like nine hours, which was incredible. And I woke up that morning and intentionally spent time in meditation, kind of visiting with Ellis, with his spirit. And to be honest, you know, I just cried the whole time for about 15 minutes, which felt really good, just to kind of release that that grief and that sadness and missing him so that I could be present for the baby shower and enjoy the day and hopefully not have, you know, a grief burst (laughs) during the baby shower. And it was just, it was so wonderful, even in the midst of a pandemic. I actually think it kind of worked to our advantage. I had a friend point out that maybe it was a good thing that it was a drive-by baby shower because we didn't have to have that kind of concentrated time of, you know, several hours around people where you might end up talking with someone for 30 minutes or something. And those conversations I can imagine might be emotionally intense because everyone is feeling what we're feeling to a certain extent of, you know, they've hoped for this baby for so long and they've followed us through this journey of of loss and infertility. And Those could have been really beautiful and fruitful, but also emotionally draining conversations. And so the drive-by shower was awesome because we got to see, you know, probably upwards of 40 or 50 of our closest family and friends. And each conversation wasn't more than five or 10 minutes. So it was great. We just got to see each person and, um... The weather was beautiful. We had a friend who came and helped us decorate. My mom had rainbow cookies. My sister had a a rainbow skirt on, so we were all rainbowed out. It was awesome. And then, yeah, Hunter and I, my my sister and brother-in-law were in town for the weekend, so Hunter and I stayed at my parents' house and kind of just enjoyed our last weekend together before the baby comes because at this point it'll be just about a month until he's here and my sister and brother-in-law will come back into town so we were all just getting excited about that and then that Sunday Hunter and I got to take home all of our gifts and open them just the two of us which was kind of special and you know hold up all the little items and imagine again our our baby in them, like all the little cute baby clothes and um, teethers and blankets. We just had to, people really get, give us some beautiful, thoughtful gifts. Of course, a lot of rainbow items, which is awesome. And books, you know, just imagining reading them to him. So all of that was made it feel really real to have those tangible objects and hold them and imagine using them with our baby, which is an experience we didn't have with Ellis. So at this point, it really does feel like new territory because after that Sunday, which was kind of the equivalent moment in time of Ellis's pregnancy, where he was stillborn on a Sunday when I was 31 weeks pregnant, this time I woke up the next day on Monday and I was 32 weeks pregnant, which felt like this whole new adventure. It almost did feel like kind of redemptive in a way, like I am getting to relive that experience and, and rewrite it. And it gave me kind of a new level of hope, and I had a sense of relief. And yeah, again, it just feels kind of like new territory now. I've never been 32 weeks pregnant. So this this past week, um, my anxiety went way down. And I've kind of gone back to my normal stasis. I've been sleeping well and just getting really excited now because kind of all the big things are checked off, like the nursery and the baby shower We also had one of our friends, Devin, who's a photographer who was also on this podcast um, early on. I think he was like episode seven and he and his wife had several miscarriages and then ended up having a rainbow baby and now they're pregnant again. And she's actually due very close, you know, I think just like a week after we're due with this baby, which is so exciting. So we had Devin do our maternity photos, which was so special and awesome. And that's something, again, that we did not get to do with Ellis. So it just felt like this new, exciting experience and really meaningful and special, which everything at this point feels really meaningful and special. So that felt almost like a, a reward. It's like we made it. <laughs> We've made it to 32 weeks. And yeah, now it's just kind of the last four weeks of my little routine of seeing my OB, my specialist, who they do a weekly scan and a non-stress test. Um, And that appointment takes about three hours total if you count, you know, driving and everything. And then I'm doing my daily kick counting, which is all just gives me a lot of reassurance. So I'm very familiar at this point with the baby's movements and his patterns and rhythms. So that helps to also reduce the fear because with Ellis, I was kind of aware of his patterns and movements, but I wasn't tracking them and I wasn't really like consciously tuned into them. So when he stopped moving, I, it took me a while to like really become aware of it. Whereas with this baby, I would know pretty quickly and be able to respond. So that just helps to ease that anxiety. So yeah, it feels like almost every day I'm driving to go see a doctor a specialist or the chiropractor, but um, again, that's all reassurance at this point. And just, it feels like I have this really great support team. In addition to, we also have our doula who we've done a breastfeeding class with her at this point via Zoom. And we also did a session where we talked about our birth plan for the C-section. And excitingly, my OB's nurse called me this past week and she had scheduled our C-section time with the hospital, which again, everything is just starting to feel so real at this point. So that, that phone call, she, she gave us our, our exact time of day. where scheduled for like 7.30 in the morning. We have to get there to the hospital at 5.30 a.m. And it's just so reassuring to have, to know exactly, you know, what day he's going to be born, especially during this pandemic. I know a lot of women are scared of C-sections, but for me, that's all I know that that's been my only experience of birth. So it's actually at this point reassuring because I know what to expect. I know the drill and for the most part, you know, the check-in and prep takes longer than the actual surgery, which the baby, once they start the surgery, the baby will be born within 10 minutes if everything goes well. Um, And then we'll just have the whole rest of the day to be with him and recover um, which will just be really great and special because it'll it'll just be me and Hunter at the hospital together with our new baby. So my plan is to share a couple more episodes of this podcast before the baby's born. So I've actually recorded an episode that I'm really excited to share with Rachel George, who is a fellow lost mom and also an author of the book Grieve Create. Believe, which is an amazing resource. You should definitely check it out. And um, we recorded this podcast episode a couple weeks ago, and she tells her incredible journey. And also, we talk a lot about her book because I'm very interested in her self publishing journey. I am also in the process of drafting a memoir about. Our experience after Ellis's stillbirth. And I'm also interested in self publishing. So it's going to kind of have a two part episode where Rachel talks about her own personal journey. And then we also talk about um, the book journey, which I'm excited to share with you guys. And then we'll do another episode together once he's born. So you can have that to look forward to. And as always, Thank you so much for listening and following along with me on this journey. It it means so much to know that I'm not alone because sometimes it can definitely feel that way. But I know that's not true because so many of you have reached out to me and told me how much our story has impacted you. And I really appreciate your reviews on Apple Podcasts. I do read all of them. And when you send me direct messages on Instagram, even if I'm not able to respond, they're really just, it's so meaningful to me and encouraging. So thank you. And until next time, I'm Taylor Bates, sending you peace and hope for your journey.